As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, October 3rd. The season should be over today in our minds, but it is not. There are still three days worth of games. There is still one playoff spot. I think that is actually up for grabs, and I feel like it is slipping away from my grasp every minute. You know, every single minute of every day, I feel worse and worse about the Brewers' chances of playing oh, in the sorry. postseason. I have I have two two. Maybe I have three leagues that are going to come down to like the last day. So that's my equivalent of your Brewers feeling, which I'm like my main, which is the has the most money riding on it, uh, goes from second to fourth every day, <laughs> like in the back. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> I'll take third at this point. <laughs> I finally got clipped out of the money, I think, in, in my big auction. I think I'm just far enough back now where I'm not going to catch the teams in cash. But I have other leagues where I'm being chased. So I'm just trying to hold on for a few more days and make it a pretty good season. So we'll uh, we'll see. I, I, I may have this regret. I chose to put uh, so I needed uh, I really need K's and it's like really close in K's and wins. And so I had $2 left. So I made two, I made a copy of two transactions, right? Where it was like all the starters that would start. <laughs> and we're talking about Louis Varland was like the last name. on, And it was only like, there was like three or four pitchers that I wanted to roster that had a start left in the season. Yeah, not many. And so I put like, I put four relievers, I put four stars together and they made a copy of it uh, for the second dollar, right? And then I was looking around. I was like, "Wow, you know, it's pretty close in homers and RBIs too." And I kind of like what Michael Massey's doing. And so then I put Michael Massey on top of the second one. And if I lose by if I get if I'm out of second by like one or two Ks, I'm going to be killing myself. Oh no! <laughs> but of course, like you know, the last three days are also terrible because you know somebody like Drew Rasmussen. You know, it says he's scheduled to pitch against Boston on the last day. No, uh, no, no. <laughs> like, I don't think that's happening. And I think it could happen to anybody. Like, I've got John Heasley, and I'm like, well, 
it's a young guy. He needs the he needs the the outing and but anything could happen between now and Wednesday where they're just like, nah, he's got a blister. Like, nah, he's not feeling good. We're just gonna do a bullpen game or something. You know, <laughs> like yeah uh i i'm staring at this like last three days being like who of these guys is actually like ken waldachuk probably gonna start on the last day of the season but yeah maybe not <laughs> i think with someone like waldachuk it's a little easier to determine whether or not he's hit a predetermined innings limit because if they weren't going to start him what they incentive did the A's have now, yeah right? to hide that yeah. whereas you know a team that is trying to reset everything for the postseason or maybe it just has innings concerns about it someone they're relying on they might make a decision to go shorter with a star i want you to throw but you're gonna throw two you're yes gonna throw three. That, like rasmussen could just throw two innings yeah, just to keep to keep the arm sure. loose yeah he's not gonna pitch again for a few more days so just mm-hmm. or throw one throw one inning and you yeah know, make, throw your throw your side that session in worst case in a game yeah <laughs> And then all my drafting holds, it's like, uh, well, let me take out all these useful starters and put in, like, Merriweather and Griffin Jacks. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they're not pitching. Uh, so, anyway. Uh, yeah, three three uh, leagues coming down to it where I can finish. Uh, I could, if it all goes right, I could win two and finish second in the, in the main. That's a, that's that's how close it is. If it all goes wrong, I could go third, second, fourth. Third, second, fourth. Okay. Yeah, well, that's that's still, pretty bad. That's that's a tough that's a tough <laughs> way to go bad. out given where you're at right now. Yeah. <laughs> if you were climbing to those positions, I think you'd say that's a pretty good year. But if you slip to those positions, you'd be furious because you saw be what could have been. Yeah. yeah. One of my leagues is funny because uh, it we do combined roto and head to head. So in that one, I'm jockeying for like anywhere from third to first. I think it's still on the on the board, but I'm also in the head to head finals. And so it, it's actually really interesting because it makes it harder to do things like punt a stat, right? Or like, you know, even this head to head matchup, I'm so close in the roto. Uh, that I don't need saves. I could go to an all-holds lineup if I wanted. But in my head-to-head matchup, I need another save. So makes it makes it for interesting, like, sort of tactical decisions. I, I kind of like it. It does require work. Like, we actually have to have somebody with engineering, like, uh, with, like, uh, programming skills because they're actually taking stats from the API from CBS and creating a roto leaderboard for a head-to-head league. <laughs> That's the pitchfork league. I like that one. <laughs> Take fantasy baseball and make it more complicated. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Require more advanced skills to play. You need a programmer on you in your league. <laughs> What's wrong with me is that I'm like, ah, oh, sounds pretty fun. And I know that the the correct way to get more people to play this game is, is to go to the other direction. Kind of, not those uh, kind of uh, barriers to entry. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You don't uh, you don't have a programmer in your league? Um well, you're just gonna have to play ten team head to head then. Mm, yes. Um, Good luck with that. Auctions with blindfolds on. Like, no technology. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting on a few leads right now. I think if the season ended right now, I'd win seven different leagues. I don't. Nice. Think that's gonna. I mean, something's got to go. Really, it, enough of those are close enough where it could end up being four. And that's better. That's better than me. I'm gonna win like uh, three or four. 
it's not been my best year, but my average finish, I think it's still going to be something like three out of 15. That's good. So, That's a good year. I'd, it's a I good year. Be happy and like that. any year that you like set a, points record and by six points in like a league that's been around since 1975 like uh, i guess i'll take it (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's a good one all right well the main focus of this episode is going to be reliever review because the season is almost over we're going to start the series now because if we didn't i think it would take until like january to finish it so the hope is that we'll be able to wrap this up in the next in january we need the preview (laughs) right we put a p in front and then we go forward start all over again (laughs) so relievers my my dumb way of thinking was they can't change that much in three days i mean Hopefully everyone just stays healthy because I guess that's the one thing that would really change our minds about even still from a value perspective, it wouldn't change the season enough for it to matter. We always take a look back, kind of think about what was going on back during draft season. If you go back to draft season, in this case, I was just looking at the first week of April because of the late start to the 2022 season. You might remember it was Josh Hader and Liam Hendricks as the big two. They were the consensus top two closers. They were often going around pick 30 if we're talking about NFBC leagues, probably a little bit later than that if we're talking more about Yahoo, CBS, ESPN type home leagues. Zero shares. Actually, uh, I lie. In my main, I have Hader. I picked him up two weeks ago on on waivers. So wow, uh, zero. Sh- that's actually. I mean, I think that is a little bit illustrative, illustrative, illustrative of uh, Josh Hader's season. Th- that's the English English pronunciation, I know, right? I know, sorry. Okay. Yeah. No, it's okay. I'll just, just... Um, Hader did not return value above. Mm, he's pretty bad I'm looking at on the, the auction, auction calculator. calculator. Uh, Hater was a $0 pitcher, according to the auction calculator. That's a big yikes for me, dude. And well, you know what? what's funny is that his stuff is still pretty much there. You know, I'm, I might have picked him if he'd slid to me anywhere, but the command was legendarily bad this year. It was. I think we've wanted to know for a few weeks what did the end of the season look like? And what will the postseason look like for Hader? If he goes back to dominant looking self. Oh, he's the one that actually there could be a lot of change to team now. Yeah. And the time we start doing the previous. Take a take a small sample of, of second half innings and tack on another small sample of postseason innings and draw a meaningful conclusion from that. Good luck. Uh, the best I can do is if you go back to September 7th, He's five for five, I believe, in save chances during that span. 12 Ks and eight and two thirds innings. Only one walk. No homers allowed. That looks like Hater. Command is, yeah, his command. I mean, he still doesn't have great command. Like he'll he'll be like trying to throw a pitch up and in, and it'll end up out and you know out and up. You know, <laughs> but I think he's either finding better places to miss or just getting you know refining the command just a little bit. So, right. All of this is to say I've started to sketch out those 2023 rankings a little bit. I think Hader is still going to be in what was previously the circle of trust, which is about eight to ten closers that we wanted to have on our teams. That's the furthest he could fall, and there's a chance that he's still so probably he like in that top five. Fifth or something? Yeah, fourth? Yeah. The, on the rough draft, he's seventh right now, but that's like seventh with an up arrow. Mm-hmm. It still looks pretty good. Most of the guys in the top group are still going to be in or near the top group. The order is just different. I mean, Hendricks, 
Hendricks has done a lot since coming off the IL to slowly push himself back up the board as well. I, I could look at Liam Hendricks right now and say that he has a case to probably be closer two, and closer three off the board. He ended up in a relatively down year seventh on the auction calculator. However, when you look and here's the auction calculator results. It was Class A first, Helsley second, Edwin Diaz third, Daniel Bard fourth, Jordan Romano fifth, Kenley Jansen sixth, Liam Hendricks seventh. So there are guys ahead of him that I will not put ahead of him. I'm not Kenley Jansen's the shape of Kenley Jansen's season doesn't um, leave me in a good spot with him. Uh, Daniel Bard still pitches in Colorado. Uh, so those two, at the very least, are are going to go slot behind Hendricks. So I don't know. I you know it's somewhat tempting when you look at it to be like, man, that's just the order. <laughs> you know, it's like Classe Helsley Diaz, Romano Hendricks Hater. Like, like argue me off of that. You know, I think you have to put Diaz at the top of your closer rankings right now. Uh, mm. Not because of the entrance video or the entrance music, but because the strikeout rate is just on its own level. And you're talking about a guy that has comparable control to the other guys in this group, even though it's slightly a higher walk rate than Hendricks and Presley and it's a higher walk rate than Class A. Just the best all around closer right now based on skills. You look at I was looking at your your pitching model. Things look fine there, too. This group stacks up very similarly to each other across the board. Class has better stuff plus and better location plus, so he ends up as a better uh, pitching plus uh, candidate than Edwin Diaz. But uh, it's instructive to remember that stuff plus is trained against all outs, um, where, you know, fantasy is based on strikeouts. So Class A's cutter is a an elite sort of run suppression pitch, but is it necessarily one that turns returns as many strikeouts as Diaz will have? So yeah, I can, I mean, I can agree with that. I, I, I was speaking a little bit more generally of like what my top seven, who's in my top who's in seven. It. Yeah. Yeah. I would um, agree. I think there's going to be some ordering concerns. Whereas like, you know, like Helsley, how much uh, do you worry about someone who's uh, sort of come on the scene so quickly? His uh, pitching plus, though, is very good. His stuff plus is very good. Um, Romano's had some ups and downs, but, you know, going into the season, um, I was always trying to get someone that you refer to the circle of trust. I was always trying to get like the last one of that. So going into the season in my drafts, I had um, a goal of getting as much Ryan Presley and Jordan Romano as I could. Yeah. And until Presley had that knee injury pop up, I was very much in on Presley. He was the guy I wanted the most. I think he's my most rostered pitcher across all my leagues this year. And that was with a late season move away from him and even backing off some of the top end closers because the prices kept ticking up even more as we got closer to opening day. But Presley's velocity has come back a bit in the second half. So I think any lingering concerns we had through the first half about the velo being down those have been erased and he's got the contract i I don't really see warts there even when his velo was down his stuff plus was decent because he's just got he's got an amazing breaking ball yeah you know it's like why rich hill has just always still had pretty good stuff plus because he's just a great breaking ball so i think i believe in him i do i do think he's maybe last in the circle of trust this year um 
you know, maybe Hader and him are last in the top seven, eight, um, because of, you know, just over, over time, relievers lose velocity and their, their performance is tied more to their velocity. So just having a season where he had a lost velocity, you know, that worries me. Plus he's an old reliever and there's going to be some effect of the pitch clock, I believe. And I think that if there is a pitch clock effect, it's going to be mostly to older relievers. So, uh, you know, all those combined, I think he's still in the circle of trust, but he's right at the end. And I have to say the, the end of the circle of trust is where seasons can be like team, like you can lose your league. Like I honestly, I think I kind of think that because if I look back at where the end of the circle of trust was going into the season, just looking at this, uh, for me, uh, Kim- Kimbrel, Chapman, and Gallegos. So I liked Romano, and he. You, you're saying that he had sort of an 85 ADP going in. Yeah, about Chapman. 85. Chapman 82, Kimbrel 88, Gallegos 117. That's uh, that was death, dude. That was an awful place to live. And I, even though I liked, I plucked Romano out of it. I feel good about that. I do have leagues where I missed Romano and ended up with Kimbrel and Gallegos, and that just that was no good. So, you know, it may be instructive once you find like you're identifying your circle of trust going into the second season. It may be instructive to really hone in on the second to last guy so that you're not getting, you know, you're not getting that Kimbrel situation or that Chapman situation, especially with this tweak of like going to a pitch clock and these older pitchers being slower. Uh, like, as bad as the world as Chapman has been, do we think he's going to get better? Like, Presley could be a Kimbrel or Chapman. You know what I mean? Like you're just talking about, they're talking about a guy like Kimbrel and Chapman still look good in stuff plus model, right? But they're older. They've shown some, some weaknesses. Is, is, is Helsley, is there any chance that Hels, uh, that Presley is the next Chapman or Kimbrel for next year? Always a chance. I think the age argument is the best possible argument you can make. Um, the I mean, skills seems better but the skills difference too though i think about chapman's always having issues with walks he's always had that kimbrell in more recent years has struggled with his command like those those guys had but they had even though they had even higher strikeout ceilings they did have a, a clearer downside when they were good whereas presley should age more gracefully but you're right the changing variable with the pitch clock is at least worth Keeping on our minds, I expect him to be in my group of closers that I still want, especially if the price isn't higher than it was this year. If it actually comes down a little bit, I think that still is going to make a lot of sense. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. 
Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I keep looking at Rysel Iglesias and thinking, what exactly did anyone do wrong by drafting him? This seems like a, a bad like a bad luck sort of outcome, that he was traded and went like a month without a save before he got traded just because the Angels weren't creating save chances. I, I'm convinced that there's nothing wrong in your process if you were drafting Iglesias in that range throughout this draft season because skills-wise, he was still good. Didn't you get some value out of him? Yeah, you get a half season's worth. You got 17 saves. You got half as many saves as he had last season. Strikeout rate was down just a little bit from a year ago. So skills are still very good. Back end uh, top twenty looks like, which is disappointing given the the extra the investment amount you had to pay. But at the same time, like he's hanging out with a lot of waiver wire closers, like David Robertson, John Duran, and Jorge Lopez. But what are you going to do? Take a look at some some guy that has the job and good skills on a good team that gets drafted in the top 75 overall and say, oh, there's a chance this team's going to crater. And if they crater, they might actually <laughs> trade him. We don't know. Like that, That's not there's nothing actionable there, I guess, is, is what I keep coming back to. That's just and what I like about break. Iglesias is that he could easily be uh, the closer in Atlanta next year. Um, and. You know, one thing that we just learned, I think, a little bit from Chapman and Kimbrell is that these older uh, closers with poor command, like it's pitching plus. Actually, I, I have to remind myself all the time because I'm so into stuff plus. It's pitching plus that does really well predicting how a reliever does. Right? It does. It, do, it is important to com- to have command. And so, if you look at uh, Kimbrell, uh, yeah, his stuff plus is still good. His pitch, his his command is is actually above average is a little bit surprising uh but chapman is the real uh, obvious one where his stuff plus is still top 10 in the league uh his location plus is 88.6 like i like there's nobody else as low as that you know and and even last year he wouldn't have had that so other really high stuff low location guys that people might depend on next year clay holmes uh is pretty bad ryan stanek is pretty bad uh josh hater has a 91 location plus uh, maybe he's actually your next Aroldis Chapman, you know? Um, so it is instructive to sort of remember that command matters and uh, that, especially with an older pitcher, they can't just outstuff their bad command at some point. I think that's the story of, of Chapman, really. Right, and I think with Rysel Iglesias, we've talked about him before as a, a closer that doesn't have a prototypical closer's arsenal, right? More mm-hmm. pitches than most closers with... Fastball, slider, change, all being used heavily. That, Mm -hmm. to me, gives him a a softer landing as well. It's sort of like Presley. I do think you're right to put Hayter and Chapman in the same bucket because of their command issues, because of their ceilings. They they seem like they'd be on more similar paths to each other. But I still still like the idea of identify a circle of trust, five to seven pitchers that you like, that you think are number one closers and will keep the job all year, that sort of deal. And then don't buy the first two and don't buy the last two. <laughs> that's that's the that's the one like caveat I've tried to put because I've been pr- fairly successful with relievers this year. The model's been really great for that. And, you know, I think it's it's gonna be again. But but, you know, when I made the mistake of being like, well I'll just get this last, the last guy in my circle of trust, right? Gallegos is in the circle of trust, right? Uh, no, he isn't. 
So I like this idea of like, you know, trying to play the middle on that because I don't, I just, I'm not still not going to buy a closer in the second or third team intentions. I, I think can still be pretty difficult to read. I mean, I think until recently Gallegos was still showing up and, and getting a decent number of saves, even though I think a lot of the saves he was getting in August were on the back of Helsley pitching in Helsley front of him. Pitched twice, Hel- yeah, Helsley got or, the win. Oh, Helsley got the eighth. Yeah. And Gallegos ended up getting a save there, but I think seven of the last eight saves the Cardinals have generated have gone to Helsley in September. Mm-hmm. So that one might be tilting far enough in Helsley's favor where he ends up inside the circle, but maybe near that back end range. I thought Corey Knable from a skills perspective, because he'd done it before and because it looked like he was healthy a year ago. I actually thought that was a good fit in Philly. I thought he was a good second closer. If you didn't get two out of the group initially, back when I was trying to get two from that first eight to 10, uh, I thought Taylor Rogers actually made a lot of sense in San Diego. The home run issues he's been dealing with more recently are a bit surprising to me. Yeah. Not really, I'm just not really sure how major league teams view him. I think I'm I'm a little bit disoriented when it comes to understanding how he'll be used because the Twins never really they, – they didn't always use him as a regular closer. The Padres did, but then the Padres were willing to trade him in the hater deal. And then, of course, in Milwaukee, he ended up being a fallback option to Devin Williams – after the trade. So I don't know if Rogers hits free agency and gets scooped up and some team says, you're our guy, go get 30 saves. I think he's capable of it in the right circumstances. I just don't know if I'm willing to take that chance team unknown in the early part of the draft season. Yeah. He, I mean, he's played his way out of any, any sort of circle of trust. You know? <laughs> like he's, uh, he's at this point uh, a guy that you pick up in the end game because you think he might end up closing for the Pirates or you know closing for somebody where he gets picked up. You know, I don't think, I don't think he's uh, second tier. But looking at that second tier, uh, the thing that I think is is just that's awful. Um, and so I wanted to look real quickly at my uh, leaderboard in the main for uh, saves here, dude. Uh, I got 58 saves. That's good for sixth. And this is a league where I kind of messed up. Like, I think this was a league where I had Gallegos or something. Um, 77 is first place in saves. And and, and that's and that's not always instructive because I was like, oh, that's the one guy who, like, bought, you know, Hendricks and, and like, bought three closers really high, right? Uh, maybe it is. I'm not, I'm not actually looking at the details. I like to look about second or third. Like if you were, if you could, if you can get second or third in every category, then you're going to win the league. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, yeah, it's a good way to look at it. 69 is third and 70 is second. So I think 70 seconds, 70 saves is your benchmark. Now think about this. Let's say you do do uh, what I'm saying and, and you've, you've got the front two, you're not going to get in the back two, and you're getting someone that's third to fifth. You're getting Ryan Helsley or you're getting, Who's who's going to be third to fifth? Maybe you get Hendricks again. Um, you know, maybe you get. Uh, I mean, Presley would I think be at the back end. Um, yeah, let's say you get just get Hendricks again. All right, you got you got the fourth best reliever on your board, and you got him in the fifth round or whatever. How many saves you're banking for? You thinking thirty five, forty. Can you really project anyone for more than 30? Because even as great as Edwin Diaz has been on a team that's been battling for or holding on to first place most of the year. You just spent to get a good one, right? Yeah, you're you not, spent to you're get not a good skimping. one. Let's give you 35. 
Okay. That's half of the saves you need. Right. Well, if you get two very good closers, you can get it from two. The odds of being <laughs> right on <laughs> no, both no, no, and no, no, getting no, no, them no. is hard. This is my argument. Don't get a second closer. Like, don't don't buy in that tier. Listen how bad this is. This is the closers twos, right? Kniebel, Rogers, Barlow. Uh, he's the good one, but yeah, Scott Melanson, pretty good. Yep. Soto, Kittredge, McGee, Duvall, Barnes, Bednar, Trevino. Listen, what's your success rate there? It seems like it's less than 50%. We could count it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I mentioned 11, and I call the misses. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven out of 11 were misses. How many of those players do we like based on skills, though? Yeah, okay. I ended up with some of those hits. Like, you know, I liked Soto the best out of that group. I, You know, Doval was somebody I liked, but I was a little bit nervous that they wouldn't give him saves all year. I think a lot of people liked Bednar. I don't know why he came, came out so cheap if so many people liked him, but people liked, liked Bednar. Bednar. I didn't really like any of those other guys, but I did like, you know, Kittredge had some good uh, stuff-plus numbers. Barnes always has okay stuff-plus numbers. And I had, you know... uh. I don't know if I had a share of Rodgers, but there wasn't a reason to hate Rodgers. It was just, I, w- I don't like shopping in this tier is my overall point. You know what I mean? And 7 out of 11, even if you think you can identify the four, it's just not a good place to live. So you identify the four in the next group and then just wait forever because that doesn't seem like it's worth investment. Like what else went in the 150s? I'm sure there were some great position players and starting pitchers that went in the 150s. Well, you're not dealing with role uncertainty with position players in that group. You know the players that are being drafted there as as hitters, unless they are very young players or prospects, their playing time's not going to just disappear, or the the aspect of their playing time that makes them relevant to our game isn't going to just vanish. Yeah. I think I want to. I want to. I want to have one uh, closer out of the top seventy-five uh, picks, and then I'm going to take a hundred and twenty-five picks off from taking closers, and then maybe jump in and do two. If I did that last year, you know, I would get uh, Ryan Presley or Jordan Romano, a lot of leagues like that. I could. I would miss out on Bednar and and Soto, which you know I had a lot of leagues that did have that. And then if I just started shopping at 200, and actually I could get Bednar at 200. Maybe Bet Soto falls to me. He was 177 overall. Uh, but I could maybe double tap and get, I would get like Bednar and Barlow at 200. Or Seawald, 288. Seawald. Should we not be afraid of picking the best reliever in a crowded bullpen? That would be part of the best argument for only taking one in the circle. And let me back up even more. Like I am very hesitant to go top, top shelf, pick 25, pick 30, pick 35 for Edwin Diaz or Classe or whoever ends up there. I agree with you that you want to get at least one within this group of seven or eight that we like to try and have a clear 30 with good ratios and a good K rate. And then watching out in this 100 to 200 range Totally makes sense. Landmine after landmine. Landmine. There's a chance that you'll identify a couple of relievers that do go in that range that you actually like, and if they are there at the appropriate time, you can take them. 
this is a general outline of a strategy. This is not a, a rigid, you must do this this way. This is just a, a way to think about it. If you're waiting, I think you're probably taking two chances in what look like clear committees on guys with good skills. So that would be the Paul Seawald types, mm. right? You have to get two players like that because there's a chance that one gets a smaller share than expected or gets no share at all. And then you're left with just the one closer you have. And if you're pushing 30 to 35 saves, you're probably sitting more like three three to five standings points in the category, most likely, somewhere in that range. You're not at the bottom, but you're, you're chasing on the wire throughout the season, which is fine because if you do find one, You'll get mid-pack, and you can still be okay mid-pack. And how many How many do we find this year? I mean... From out of nowhere... Ryan Helsley, second best reliever. Yeah, Ryan Helsley, for second sure. Second best reliever, fourth best reliever, Daniel Bard. Clay Holmes. Five, nine. Ninth is Evan Phillips, but that's... It's just... <laughs> it's without the saves, you know? I, I, uh, I, I'm not going to shop for that. We still Felix Bautista? Yeah. Out of nowhere. Did Devin Williams get drafted a lot? I think Williams was drafted, cut, and then picked up after and then the Tater trade. Up again. Yeah. Right, because you can't wait forever. I just, Jason I mean, Adam, Alexis Diaz are $6 pitchers with saves. Jorge Lopez was basically either free at the end of the draft or quickly an early season pickup. He was valuable for a while. So they happen. They emerge. A lot, all the time. I, I think... I like this idea of, you know, the perfect, building the perfect pen going, like, if I went back in time, it would be Romano uh, at, you know, maybe I have to jump him a little bit to make sure I get him, especially in this in this thing that we're talking about. You said Romano went 85. Um, that's sixth round? Yeah. In a 15-teamer? Yeah, sixth round. Let's, take, let's say I take him at the end of the fifth. So, uh, Romano at 75. Uh, and then I don't jump Bednar or Soto, and I take one of them. I take Bednar or Soto at 205 or 215, like Bednar's at 215, right? Uh, and then, uh, yeah, see, it, it's not a good place to shop. Like Joe Barlow, Robert Suarez, Paul Seawald, uh, Bender, who's Bender? Anthony Bender, uh, Art Warren. If you shopped in there, you got a half season from Barlow, and a full season from Seawall, but you also missed three times. So uh, I would take one of those guys at 300. So that's 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 my general approach. Yeah, like, David David Robertson was actually a decent value late too. Yeah, Romano at 75, and that's and, I, and this is not revisionist like, oh yeah, like anybody can look back and like create the the perfect like that's literally what I was my plan was, and there are teams where I kind of nailed that so um i want to i'm going to continue that sort of plan where it's like yeah identify a second closer you like buy one but don't buy one in the top 200 just wait and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free hey frank a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct tv what's the little birdie was it jimmy the sparrow it's a figure of speech point is you can stream direct tv over the internet now oh sure next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people right <laughs> you mean airplanes stream direct tv without a satellite dish visit directtv.com High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. 
Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I do think there's also a difference. We're at that point in the year where if you play draft and hold, which, you know, those are are leagues where you don't get to make in-season pickups, you do have to think about this a little bit differently, especially if you're drafting in the fall or the early part of the winter when there are players that haven't moved yet. You you have an even smaller list of of players where you you kind of understand the role and the situation. So I think you, you go early and then you speculate late and you hope to hit. And I think that's where... Seawald and Devin Williams were particularly helpful because they still had value even if they weren't closing as often as they're mm-hmm. closing right now. So there was there was a there's another way they could be helpful in those leagues. So I think that's like I've played I've played some Griffin Jacks. <laughs> like in drafting <laughs> holes. I just needed the innings, I needed some K's, you know. Didn't end up the closer, but Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I I do agree that maybe I'll take like a closer in the third round on the uh, in drafting holes. Camilo Doval for a second, just looking at this group because I'm looking at that that cluster of mostly misses. Lanson, we talked about me being dumb and in a league where I was just desperate, caving in. It was an important league where I should have just done something completely different, had value somewhere else. But you know, Camilo Doval, I think is a very good reliever i think there's still one more level he can reach we did see the walk rate tick up a little bit from where it was last season the k rate is down slightly but the home run rate improved and we know the ballpark is good it seems like they're pretty comfortable using him as that guy 27 saves to me is a pretty successful season especially for someone as young as doval is so i wonder if he ends up being a good value he has some crazy up and down over the course of the season and stuff. Plus, I don't even get it. In late August, he was throwing up seventy sevens and stuff. Plus, what the f how is that, going on there? How does that happen? Uh, mm, I do. I do know one thing. He started the season with lesser velo than he ended the season, and stuff. Plus, really does like the last sort of six to seven appearances of the season where he's kind of living in the 140s for stuff plus. Uh, just to give you a context, Emmanuel Classe uh, was 144 for the season. So I do think that Doval has uh, Classe-like upside, and I think that's a good name to think of because he is a guy who throws like a 100-mile-an-hour cutter just like Classe. Um, it is a, it's a little bit worrisome to me that he threw his best velo at the end of the season and in context with beat writers and Gabe Kapler having an open conversation about maybe Duvall hadn't been prepared to throw his best stuff at the beginning of the season. Don't know. Do you, so. like, but, it, you know, there's that I, 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 I love sort of trying to read between the lines and trying to learn from those sort of things and being like, oh, you know, he's, he doesn't prepare well over the offseason. Yeah, well, he just saw the benefits of increasing his preparation and doing his arm care and just went from sitting like 97, 98 in the early season to sitting 102 at the end of the season. Maybe he saw the benefits of this. Maybe he's actually learned something from this and he's going to come in next year ready to pump 100s from the beginning of the season. 
Um, and maybe the communication in different aspects of just the relationship between player and organization will evolve to the point where they they have a better plan together that can be executed on. Not that the Giants did And that's sort of how Kappa put it, you know? Like, you know, we've, we've both learned from this, the course of the season. Like, Duvall... Like, ranking Duvall versus Presley. That'll be, it. That'll be difficult. I mean, I think... I think initially, at least, you're going to see Duvall probably ends up somewhere in the Gallegos range, like outside the top 100 overall in ADP for the early part of draft season. But you could, if we're talking about him now and, and the way you're talking about him as someone that throws that hard, that does have those similarities to Class A, people are going to see that and understand that. Mm-hmm. And they're going to they're going to gradually become more and more confident in him. So I think he'll, he, he'll move up draft board. He's, he's going to get into the, the circle. Yeah. And then you're going to have a decision probably not unlike the first time you had to really trust Jordan Romano, where you say, okay, do we really believe that he's this good? Is it okay to pay the premium? Is it okay to use pick 80, pick 85, pick 90 on Camilo Doval and pass on some of those really good hitters? I'm saying that maybe your circle of trust is eight, but Brian Presley and Josh Hader are at the bottom of the circle of trust, and maybe Doval is the guy you have to take ahead of those guys. Wow. Yeah, that's... uh that is a decision I am not ready to make, which is relievers. Uh, tough. The relievers, they're it's a hard MF in life, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> like not only like I was looking at this for um, who's the lefty in in Miami? We I think we mentioned this before. Tanner Scott. No, it's the lefty that they just that just came out of nowhere ish this year for them. Um, I'll find him in a second. Stephen Okert. Stephen Okert is 31 years old. He has been pitching in an organization since 2012. He has 135 major league innings. He's a pretty good pitcher. This year he, oh, they say he was below replacement, but I don't believe it. Uh, he had uh, he, he struck out 29% of the batters he saw this year. You know, totally usable lefty. He will be a free agent. In 2027. Oh yeah, no, it's he's he's got the that's like a worse than Whit Merrifield situation. Oh my god, dude, he's gonna be a free agent in 2027, dude. I don't even know if he's gonna get a free agent deal in his life. You know what I mean? No, he, he should point, take an extension. At that point, he'd be 36 years old. You know, like oh man. And, and if you look at the, there's aging curves. Bill Petty has these excellent aging curves he did on pitching. And if you look at Velo uh, for starting pitchers and, and relievers, I would like to, I would like someone to re- rerun those. I would like to see uh, more recent aging curves for Velo, given that we're like in the weighted ball driveline era, you know, I'd like to see if, you know, maybe uh, pitchers hold on to their Velo longer. But uh, the way that it was is like everybody around 26 years old just starts losing Velo, you know? And for the starting pitchers, uh, strike like Velo just goes down, but strikeout rate doesn't go down as badly because they've got other pitches, they've got Moxie, they've got feel. You know, there's a <laughs> Max Scherzer in my column today was just like yelling at me about how Stuff Plus doesn't have feel in it, and I'm like, well, it's sort of designed that way, but okay. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, they they managed to age okay relievers just see their strikeout rate die with their velo. So that's that's what I was sort of saying with the Ryan Presley thing. We saw it we saw the end 
we we previewed the end. That's what that's what it's going to look like for him at the end of being a closer. Well, wait a minute. I got to push back a little bit. Like that's what we've seen historically. Now that we know that that's what happens to relievers, don't you think that we try and do things differently with relievers going forward? Yeah. So what I'm oh. You just mean like as a team in terms of developing them? Right. And- Teams could say, wait a minute. Okay. We know we know as velocity drops over time that relievers become a lot So we want you to have multiple quickly. pitches. Do and- you start to work on those second and third pitches more often with your relievers as velocity drops? I would like to see some, but I, I saw no evidence that uh, I looked recently and I saw no evidence that relievers to these days have more pitches than relievers in the past. Which, to, yeah, that's to me, that's the thing you would want to to change you'd say we want our relievers to have more pitches yeah but then if they have multi- if they have multiple pitches in command then why aren't they starting <laughs> i think you want i think you you want to give yourself a chance of salvaging something later aging better yeah even if you only have one pitch you really trust and one that is just there to keep hitters from sitting entirely on that pitch that's where a lot of relievers are. Anecdotally, I'm 100% with you, and I th- I thought that I would find something. Because as you think of, like, Adam Ottavino adding a cutter, you know? Uh, there's a lot of pitchers that are just like, oh, I needed to add something that was in between these two pitches, you know, to make it really work. Um, but I don't, I, in terms of the numbers, I you know, the, in terms of average number of pitches thrown over 10% of the time, I couldn't find a difference between now and, and the, the past. So anyway, I, the way that I was going to make this relevant in terms of fantasy is that, like, I will take Camilo Duvall over Ryan Presley. Okay, that's, um, that's, I, that's, I, I took helium. Romano this year. <laughs> I took Romano. I know it's helium, but, you know, we have this model that tells us how good people are in short samples. And we also have this fact of Velo just dropping as you get older. And then we have this third fact of uh, of um, the, the pitch clocks coming in and older pitchers being slower. So it's like this could be a kind of confluence of like the year of the young closer, mm. you know. I like it. I like it as a, a... Not a great time to be Kenley Jansen, the slowest pitcher in baseball (laughs) but i I like this as a reason for sifting through some of these guys that are kind of clustered together yes i'm not going to say that like i'm going to take uh clay holmes and make him number one i was there another example you know or like duran especially since like maybe they'd stretch him out or something you know like i'm not going to take you know the flavor of the month young guy and just put him all the way to the top but if if we're talking about seventh and eighth I'm going to take the young guy, put him seventh. You know what I mean? And that's sort of what I was talking about. I think Duvall is going to end up being in that back end of circle of trust by the time we're drafting, you know, mains again next year. I think that's how the market is going to treat him. And if like Helsley, if Helsley goes as like the fifth best reliever next year, I want him, you know, Hmm. if he goes like as the second best reliever in like the second round or third round. And I'll be like, okay, that's helium. <laughs> that's a little extreme. Right. I think the decision that everyone has to make is, are you willing to take two from the group? If you're not taking one from the very beginning, are you comfortable using that workout fifth, fifth so and sixth poorly. round picks or some combination like that? Oh, I it was awful. That was, that worked really poorly for me. I think it's more of a, wheel strategy i get both picks together i know exactly which two i'm gonna get i'm not at the mercy mm. of someone else messing it up you know Still, maybe we that's showed how bad that was to shop in that neighborhood like i think i did that once and uh i even did that once where i like i lifted up soto and did like bednar soto 
in like the seventh and eighth round or something, like jump them was like a max. I might've been a max pick on Ben Hart in that league, you know? And like, like I still wouldn't recommend doing that, you know? No, I'm more like saying Presley Duvall or some yeah, some yeah. group up there where you, you didn't go all the way to the top, but you stayed two within that group. It's got to be the right position on the draft board to do it, but that that's still tempting. You're you're still trying to like you have all these like competing things in your head. You're like, oh, I want to come out of five rounds with two starting pitchers. Okay, well, I I, I want to double tap on the you know the second level relievers. Wait. I just took four pitchers in the first five rounds. <laughs> Maybe that's the answer. Maybe it's one hitter yeah. and four pitchers. The hype. Yeah, Toby, Toby, uh, Batflip, Toby is like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dalton Del Don's like, take well. seven straight pitchers. Like, <laughs> yeah. what, what are you, what are you taking? Toby does for? really well with that sort of strategy. It's like I don't know. There's like a, there's like a, I have like a, like some. I'm like, ah. <laughs> I'd be like trying to click the, my body would like, they'd be like, error, error. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot click. <laughs> You're like, why? <laughs> Just do it. So you mentioned earlier that we should consider embracing the committees. And I think there's kind of just a necessary evil here to do that. Because if you look at year over year trends, I ran a simple search over at Stathead looking for number of 20 save pitchers in a season. This is going to shock absolutely no one. Last season, we only had 19 pitchers get to 20 plus saves. This year, we're sitting at 18 with three days left. So it's probably going to be pretty much the same number. I think there's a couple of guys sitting right is around that total. Is there some other number that's going up to claim that? Is like the number of 10 saves uh relievers going up right this isn't just guys breaking right this is you know like like there there has been analysis that like the the there's fewer teams that are giving like 95 percent of their chances to one player let's have a look let's run the same search with 10 or more saves in a season and see what that trend looks like the reason i think this is important though is because if we for years for i think the the first thing we've wanted to do is avoid committees. Oh, just avoid it. It's a mess. We don't know who's going to get the job. Yeah. Or, uh, if this is too expensive, don't don't bother because it could be a, it could be a share. And the thing I've realized the more we've seen this is that a committee doesn't mean equal. It doesn't mean three guys are are splitting the shares three even ways. It's we use this guy three quarters of the time. We use the other guy about a almost a quarter of the time, and then the last like five percent go to this third person. That's that's the way we use this committee. And it's like, okay, well, if you're getting the person who's getting three quarters of those chances, that's fine. That's still a committee, but that's still very usable. To answer your question about 10 save relievers, we're at 33 10 save relievers this season. We had 39 a year ago. We had mm. 37 back in 2019, 43, 40, 42. Yeah, it, it's pretty, this is pretty consistently the same mm. for the last 15 years. Well, I mean, you know, you look at uh, some teams uh, that, uh, you know, are good teams that seem okay with doing uh, bullpen pie committee. The Dodgers <laughs> are currently doing it. The Yankees are currently doing it. Phillies have a timeshare. The Dodgers made a trade. Well, they had Blake Trinan, so maybe they were going to do what they did with Kimbrell with Trinan. But the Dodgers should be a committee team in theory. And they weren't yeah, even until the Kimbrel failed. Yeah, them. yeah. Even at the beginning of the season, I thought it would be a Trine and uh, Kimbrel committee. That's a little bit uh, confused by injury, though. But but like the Rays go in every year, like being a committee. But then at certain parts of the year, Pete Fairbanks was the closer. 
the Mariners looked like they were a committee going in and they had a really great thing. And then Seawall became their primary closer, basically. So I think that, you know, embrace the committee to me means don't be afraid of it and pick. And those are opportunities for you to pick the winner. Um, and uh, you're still hoping that there's a winner. Uh, and then uh, what's nice about that, too, is, you know, you, you've got this model that tells you the good pitchers. You've got projections. You've got certain things you can look for to find good pitchers. And there's like the Evan Phillips phenomenon, right? Like phenomenon, which is like, you know, Evan Phillips ended up. Um, where did I say he ended up? He was top 10 among closers, wasn't he? Yes, top, among 10, top 10 among relievers. But it's that whole, like, uh, do I do I buy Chad Green uh, ahead of the season just to, like, have great ratios and, and be a valuable reliever? And at the end of the season, oh, look, Chad Green was worth 10 bucks and you got him for a buck. Like, we should buy Chad Green every year. The problem is that relievers are so volatile that even trying to buy Chad Green, maybe you bought Chad Green this year for a buck. You're like, finally, okay, finally, I'm going to do the one where I just buy a guy who's a reliever that's not going to get me saved but he's going to be worth 10 bucks at the end of the season you messed you messed up <laughs> you know? like you can't always find the chad green but when you buy into a a, a closer situation a closer committee situation you might get just a really good reliever that only has five saves on the year you know and you might still get a lot of value out of it so and you're spending less yeah i think that's the key is if you're getting these guys well outside the top 200 overall there's plenty of value that could be had there. I think the problem with Kittredge, he got hurt. That's random. You can't control mm-hmm. that. Players are going to get hurt. The problem with Kittredge is that he wasn't quite that cheap. He was more of a pick 150 guy. And that extra mm-hmm. three or four rounds makes a pretty big difference. So while if he'd been healthy and got his 20 saves, I would have been really happy to get him where I got him in that auction or eight, 10 bucks. Yeah, or I was. don't really want to buy into a committee with my second closer, right? Yeah, I think I think it was just a little bit too early. I think this is generally where you want to be with your third if you can be. Otherwise, you do have to take two shots in and hope that you're, <laughs> you're good at this because it's very I'm also very not tough. taking two shots into the same bullpen. Uh, mm. I guess uh, if it's yeah, like my final, could. my final pick, like it, we're talking about like real deep, uh, my last pick, because there is the last 10 picks of your draft, you're, you're, you might have one or two of those guys that make it to the end of the season with you, right? So if you're talking about a 25th round pick and it's like, oh, I took Andres Munoz ahead, like I took Paul Seawald, let me just take Andres Munoz here or something. I don't forget who it was that we all thought would, would, uh, would uh, fight for saves there. <laughs> Ken, Ken Giles, Giles was in there, yeah. yeah. So because he's coming so back from injury. If you had taken Paul Seawald as your third closer, it'd be okay to take Ken Giles in your one of your last three picks. You know, maybe even last five picks, because a couple weeks in, you're like, well, now I can drop Ken Giles for a streamer or whatever. You know. Yeah, I, I think that's a, it's a good way to look at it, and uh, you know, obviously, we're going to look at these players in the preview in greater detail too. So if we didn't talk about a particular reliever that intrigued you this year or intrigues you next year, yeah, don't worry. I mean, there will be a time for that. Especially a lot of these uh, waiver wire helium guys like, you know, Clay Holmes is going to be an interesting discussion in terms of looking forward. Should he be in that circle of trust? And Yeah. And Batista is easier, I think, because there's a clearer pattern of usage and the Yankees make things complicated. What if he ends? What if he ends the season with knee surgery? Mm. 
how much does that matter? I, because I, I, you could just replace the words Camilo Duvall with Felix Bautista earlier too, which now has made our circle of trust nine deep, which makes me think Hader and Presley are not in the circle of trust. <laughs> you really want to kick those guys out. <laughs> mm, just saying. Yeah, well, I hate you. Someone, multiple someones, will disappoint us. So trying to figure out who they are <laughs> is better than just being disappointed by them and walking right into yeah. the the traps. But if I wait, it like it, it it to me the the best my best approaches this year was getting Jordan Romano in like the sixth round, fifth round, sixth sixth round. I think mostly sixth round. Jordan Romano in the sixth is what I want to repeat. Jordan Romano in the sixth that sounds to me like Camilo Duvall or Felix Bautista in the sixth. That's just, you know, that that it's all lining up in that same way. It was a young guy, small sample. My, you know, my metrics love him. Seems like he's got the job, you know. He's not going to drop in velo next year unless it's from like 101 to 100 for Felix Bautista. <laughs> He'll be all right at 100. I think it's still yeah, going to be good. I think it's still going to be good. <laughs> I think it's still going to be swing and miss stuff yeah. if that's what happens. Yeah. A couple emails to get to real quick on our way out. This one comes from Rob. Rob wanted to know, uh, do teams have a professional pinch runner role? They were looking at ways the Mets could make room on the roster when they promoted Francisco Alvarez, and they started talking about Terrence Gore. 43 career stolen bases in 80 plate appearances. I think he has like seven rings. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. uh, No. No, come on. Hold on. Seven? How many World Series rings does Terrence Gore have? Look, he doesn't have auto, more than two. It Come auto-completed on. for me. Oh, <laughs> You've okay. searched this two, before. He has two. <laughs> How long do you think he's played? Well, in my, in my defense, it's recency bias because he has one in 2020 and 2021. So like, it does feel like he's had them forever. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That was pretty good. <laughs> Seven. Two. It's two. <laughs> so how, how many teams the, have players so the like thing this? About, the, the thing about professional pinch runners is this. Nobody has them during the course of the season, but they all want them in October. So, right. you know, Billy Hamilton ends up, like, bouncing around, dfa released, signs on, minor league. And the reason is Billy Hamilton is your Terrence score right now. Uh, is your is your other option as a at a Terrence score. But nobody really wants to play him during the the season in terms of where the job is like winning every day. <laughs> you know? Uh they want him for one play in October. Uh the Dave Roberts play. You know what I mean? Like they want they want that moment. Uh and it's it becomes a little bit more valuable in the way you construct your roster for the postseason where there's uh more rest days and uh more things you can finagle. So uh, they do have professional pinch runners. They do exist. They mostly only exist in October. Rob, trying to be your friend, comes up with maybe this is what Asturi Ruiz can become with a smiley emoji. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's uh, wouldn't that make you mad? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. It would make me very mad. <laughs> right. I, I don't know if uh, if I'm that down on his stories, but uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks for the email. <laughs> thanks, dude. <laughs> really appreciate that. 
Uh, multiple emails in uh, trying to clarify a point from our last episode. Kenny G plays the soprano saxophone. So thank you to Duncan and James it was a for sax, following but up on that. Not the big one. It's not the big one. <laughs> it's the little one. The little it's, sax. It's called the soprano sax. Let's let's proceed with the proper nomenclature of the saxophone. Not, not little one. Not the little sax. He plays the little sax. Plays the little sax. Like, no. <laughs> That's not what Kenny G plays. It's a soprano sax. So, again, thank you to Duncan yeah, and James right. for clarifying that. I, I really do apologize to uh, the multiple <laughs> jazz. Uh, it sounds like professionals <laughs> that chimed in. Uh, I, I, I do so. like that we have multiple jazz professionals <laughs> listening to this. So, uh, love you guys. I guess tin whistle based on your description. So we clearly need the, all the help that we can get or something like this. Not the clarinet. <laughs> no. So if you've got questions for a future episode, especially if they are review focused, that's, that's where we're headed for these next several weeks. You can send those our way. Rates and barrels at theathletic.com is the email address. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Uh, if you'd like a subscription to The Athletic and you don't have one already, dollar a month for the first six months, that can't be around much longer. Get it at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. It's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you next week. Thanks for listening.